Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Pablo Escobar cultivated the cocaine in the jungle, processed it, collected it, and then delivered it to the US and then had his own agent selling it in the US as well and distributing it. But I think in recent times, the Colombian cartels really have cut back on that bit of it. The European super cartel and some of the other Eastern European drugs gangs, they became very much more involved in the logistics of moving it once they bought it off the Colombian cartels. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. A 500 million euro cocaine haul on the Waterford Cork coast involving army rangers, customs, Gardaí, the naval service and the Air Corps. The Kinahan cartel and Iranian links to Hezbollah form key parts of the investigation. But what does the hidden haul on the mother's ship MV Matthew really tell us about the cocaine industry and what people are willing to do to transport it. Today, I'm talking with Niall Donald about high drama in Irish waters and those who have come a cropper before. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. I've no glasses. Where's okay. yours? They're upstairs, Ian. Yeah. That's the place for them. <laughs> So I can just see my screen because I have that giant writing on it. Yeah. That's a blur. Can you read your own notes? Yeah, I can. Yeah. Okay. Because we're going to talk about cocaine. Yeah. And uh, obviously the news this week, which was phenomenal. Um, but I'm going to do a little bit of self-promotion here. Go for it. For a second, right? Go on. I have a book due out, as you know all about, because you've heard all about it, in October, in 26th of October, called Cocaine Cowboys. And it's actually all about the arrival of cocaine into Ireland, the kind of the people who were the early, um, you know, I suppose the early cowboys who saw potential in it. And it's about an Ireland that starts at an Ireland of a different time or so you think and sort of basically delves into how dark it became, the various characters that made money, some died, whatever. 
Um, and where we now sit, Ireland, we're punching above our weights, our weight when it comes to cocaine. Firstly, on the international stage with the Kinnahans being some of the biggest cocaine suppliers in the world. Yeah. Um, and also our usage, we're punching above our weight. We're like one of the biggest users in Europe of cocaine. Um, and you can delve back to all sorts of reasons for that. But give you a little preview, right? And just see how it relates to this week, because it starts in 1993 and Europe's internal borders are down. Um, and the Guardi have just actually seized a quantity of cannabis, um, which is coming in along the shoreline. And along with bales of cocaine are beginning to start showing up. The first, I think, in Roscarbery Beach. But um, a politician called Jim O'Keefe, who's representing Fine Gael in Cork, gets to its, his feet in the dole and he's worried. And he says that it's very clear now that the hundreds of miles of rugged coastline in West Cork have become, become a honeypot for drug smugglers. You had at that time Barry Galvin some months previous going on the Late Late Show and very controversially sort of saying, you know, Ireland is a place where these big um, drug Lords are yeah. coming. They're living yeah. here. They're living down around Cork. Why are they in these areas? Why are they coming to base themselves in Ireland? Um, and you have really the start of that cocaine, um, the start of those big seizures, which are all around the coastline. And what do they do? But they get up again in the dole and they start looking for the Gardaí to be better equipped yeah. with binoculars yeah, right. and okay. you know what and this is to sort of fight this growing tide of smugglers yeah. who are using Ireland to land cocaine because they believed then that this could be fought I mean when you think of the tsunami that was coming of yeah. cocaine it's a little bit like when you look back on the footage of the people in some of the inner city flat complexes at the beginning of the heroin problem marching and they're physically standing to try and Stop the stop, stop the, 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 the stop the sort of surge of it, but nobody could control it. No, and of course, like it's interesting if you're talking about those guys, these these expat drug lords or whatever, basing themselves in Cork. One of them would be Johnny Morrissey. One of them was Johnny Morrissey, yeah. Who, of course, is currently under investigation in Spain for for his his role in, in laundering money for the Kinahan cartel. Mm. So it stretches back. It, it's things have changed, have they, in terms of scale? Yeah, they've and changed size. the scale, and maybe just they haven't. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I mean, like I'm saying, okay, obviously the cocaine market has grown, but it's that idea of those sort of early traders were kind of chancers. Yeah, you know, there was a lot of these kind of um, gamblers and people. Playboy, were they kind of yeah. playboy types in a way? They were, and they were sort of coming up with the money. They were dealing. They were doing their deals in Miami. Yeah. Which was the playground of the rich and famous. Obviously, Escobar was in the mix and he was sort of flooding that route. Yeah. Um, and they were using, they were trying every sort of way to, to, to cross the globe with cocaine. But the simplest was, if you look at a map and you draw a straight yeah. line from South America across to Europe, you kind of hit the Cork coast, the Wexford yeah. coast, the south and Spain. So Spain and Ireland's coast and obviously or anybody who lives down around Cork, Kerry, other, yeah. any areas will tell you 
we know some of the beaches. Yeah. But my God. No, I mean, it's a, it's an almost impossible task to have a, a, a guard on each. each. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean. Our binoculars are not. This week they're asking the public to keep an eye out. For bales of cocaine, which they are, I think. They're traveling that's down. That's what's happened, 2023. Now but, tell us about that. That's funny. Well, no, it's a, I did get a few texts from people who, people, it was actually in Wexford mostly because uh, I don't know why that was where obviously at first it, the news first emerged, but there were people floating around the beaches on the off chance of, uh, you know, finding an early Christmas present, I suppose. And there's all sorts of funny things going around WhatsApp as there well is. about, you know, the way the Wexford strawberry yeah. um, uh, farmers sell yes, at those yes. little things on the roadside. Yeah. I got a, a, te- a, a WhatsApp of somebody basically selling the last bales of cocaine. Because it did it did happen in Donegal. Significant numbers of people went up when, when the last kind of uh, shipment washed up on shore. People were up and floating around the beaches hoping hoping to get lucky. And maybe or... they did because, I mean, if you got lucky and you got yeah. a bale of cocaine, yeah. you're hardly going to bring this underworld and say, well, hey, no, I found one. No, Come I'm, and take a photograph no. of me with it nor is somebody going to bring it to the small claims court for return of their cocaine, you know. Oh, um, indeed. So, uh, but I suppose if you look at the, you know, the, the Irish coast and you look at Colombia and the reality is it has to come from Colombia or the country surrounding Colombia and South America. Really, there's only a few ways to get there still. Um, re- the, this What we've seen this week is, is basically a ship mm-hmm. hired to bring it over. I mean, the other things that have happened in the last couple of decades have been um, where cocaine shipments will be hidden amongst regular cargo. Largely bananas. Le- yeah, legitimate cargo. Yeah. Um, so they'd be hidden within that and brought to a port in, in Europe. And that was obviously a route that the, the Kinnahans used a lot of the time. The other route is to hire a, sp- a ship, not bring anything else and solely do it for this purpose. And other than that, really, you're talking about what they call mule smuggling mm-hmm. um, on planes where people, you know, or through the postal system. And you're really talking quite small scale. I mean, there's money to be made, but that there really are options. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've seen that over uh, maybe the last 20 years, there's been a number of really large uh uh, halls discovered on these kind of specially purposed boats like there was obviously the one in in, in Dunlock Bay um, and there was was it Dancing dancing with Waves or Dances dancing with, with waves. waves yeah so those those were in other big halls and this this latest one is the same thing um, the values I mean they're they're suggesting now 500 million um, initially the 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 figure given out was 157 million pounds worth. That's based on two ton, 2.2 tons. And that's basically... Is 2,000 kilos or thereabouts. Is that right? 2,200 kilos? Yeah, 2.2 tons. So 2,200. 60, 60 euro a gram. Yeah. But obviously the, the, the value becomes inflated when they look at the purity of it. And mm-hmm. then obviously most cocaine in, in sold on the streets of Ireland is... I, I can't remember the figure, but it's... you know, or 60 euro gram. Yeah, but it's also the purity could be 20, 30 percent. And that's how the the value goes up. I mean. um, And also, let's just go back and what happened in this case. This ship, this mothership, left Venezuela. Yes. Which is one of the countries where cocaine is produced. Yeah, well, it was a Venezuelan um, uh, registered ship. It left. um, Caraco, didn't it? Caraco, which is is a a kind of a... uh, Dutch protectorate, isn't it? Just off the coast of of Colombia, that would be a, a somewhere where 
these shippings are are, are put on board re- reasonably. And um, then it left that port. Um, it it seems to have stopped at a couple of places, including the Canary Islands. It's been registered. Um, the 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 owner of the ship seems to be uh, registered in in China. Um, so it seems to have taken a journey. Stopping I'm listening it. to you. Sorry, I was actually just looking up Caracas yeah. because that's you know first time I've properly applied myself to that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, um, you're right. Yeah. Surprisingly enough. <laughs> it's a Dutch Caribbean island yeah. known for its beaches tucked into coves and its expansive coral reefs, which rich with marine life. Yeah. Um, the capital, Williamstad, has pastel coloured colonial architecture, floating Queen Emma Bridge and the sand floored 17th century da, 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 synagogue. It's also a gateway to Western beaches like Blue Bay, a popular diving site. Yeah, so, so you can imagine the kind of lifestyle there is exactly, out there. Exactly, exactly. And so, like, it's so somebody has bought this ship. I think they had a value of it at 9.5 million. So mm-hmm. that's the initial investment. The ownership, uh, it's registered in these various places. Um, so there will be some sort of paper trail. But I think even now the investigators are saying that paper trail is going to ultimately lead nowhere. So the ship leaves. It seems to have stopped at various points, stalled for periods of time. They're not. It's not clear if they, if it was loaded while at sea. But it seems that seems one of the most likely. As it left South America, it seems to have stalled for a period of time. They In may, particular, I think it was spent some period of time around the Canary Islands. But that was, yeah, after stalling and, in the, the initial international waters, it then went to the Canary Islands and seemed to right. stay there for a couple of weeks. And obviously, you know, the, the clear suspicion would be that there was a, a drop-off at that point. Um, and then it, it headed on up the coast of France, possibly coming close to Spain. But I think there is another suggestion that there may have been another drop-off point mm-hmm. somewhere in France. Uh, what it seems to be, rather than the ship, the, the the main ship docking, there's a belief that trawlers are sent out to collect a, a portion of the shipment, and then it ends up in Cork. And obviously, which of course will again sort of, um, it's less risky for that to happen for the smaller trawlers to go out and to meet yeah. the bigger boats. Yeah. Um, and for sometimes even the cocaine to be picked up by the bigger boats, the motherships not on port. Like in ports are really the, the high risk points yeah. for any ship yeah. to land because their activities, their, you know, where they're from, they kind of have to come in, say who they are, tell the port authorities why they're landing, you know, where they've come from. Sometimes they have to show their ship's logs and often they'll have to be boarded by the local authorities or the customs. So yeah. it's a high risk. Coming into land is high risk. So for this boat um, and for whoever owns the actual cargo on this, be it yeah. worth 500 million or a billion, yeah. um, they are happier once that starts breaking down and starts being yeah. put onto smaller ships. Yeah. And so that that seems to be the way, the plan. Um, mm. Obviously, it all went awry for various uh, things when it got to the coast of Ireland. Certainly, it seems there was a, the suspicion is there was a trawler in, in Wexford was due to go out. Um, it's not fully clear exactly what happened, but ultimately... There's two that, people before the courts, so we have to be a little Yeah, but careful. ultimately that trawler ran aground, ran aground yeah. and that's still being being rescued. Um now it's clear there was some intelligence uh, around the movements of of the mothership, and um, that 
the, the trawler running aground wasn't the the thing that that sparked the investigation. There obviously was intelligence going on before, and um, the navy uh, went out and inter- went to intercept the ship. The ship tried to speed up and leave the Irish waters. They were fired upon by the navy, which is a very rare occurrence. It has to be said. And then the army ranger wing boarded the ship. Two point two. Uh, Tons where the cocaine were found in uh, in a in a in a lifeboat, basically, and there seems to have been some attempt to dispose of that just as they were being boarded. Uh, reports that they were attempting to set it alight. So it's a major major haul, mm-hmm. and we're seeing now, regards to the number of interviews, obviously other people who were involved in the investigation have also spoken about it um you know the 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 international police forces but it looks like that all can be traced directly to 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 the gulf cartel the gulf clan cartel in in colombia seems to be um the where it's originating from where it's originating from and the suspicion of who owned such a big cargo who was able to purchase it is not very satisfactory for us, okay? No. While there is an investigation into whether or not the Kinnahans had any overarching involvement mm. in this, and it is suspected that they did. Yeah. And the reason is because they're big enough still. That's how big they'd got, that they are kind of like bringing together cartels from all sorts of regions. Yeah. Now, the suspicion in regards to this is that they could have either financed it or, you know, certainly uh, made the connections between possibly Iranian, Ukrainian, Eastern European and British drug gangs yes. in order to make this deal. I think, I think what's happened like with the, the Colombian cartels in recent times, although back in the days of Pablo Escobar, they they were involved in every single level of the drugs trade. So Pablo Escobar cultivated the cocaine in the jungle, processed it, uh, collected it, and then delivered it to the US and then had his own agent selling it in the US as well and distributing it. But I think in recent times, the Colombian cartels really have have cut back on that bit of it. So the European super cartel and some of the other Eastern European uh, drugs gangs, they became very much more involved in the logistics of moving it once they bought it off the Colombian cartels in in South America. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the, the Colombian cartels wouldn't necessarily hire the people now, and they, it seems that they would at times as well. So that that's what they were looking into was mm. was you know what was the involvement of of those. And if you remember, um, uh, two thousand nine in nineteen, there was the MSC Guyane, um, which was also had a Kinnan link, and that was one billion pounds where the cocaine was found that on a ship uh, in Philadelphia that was yeah. that was destined for Europe and if you look back that went through courts um there's a number of people convicted long complicated cases yeah and like you know a lot of the people convicted and as is often the case in this I'm not talking about this particular yeah. case or anybody before the courts but a lot of the people they've really quite interesting stories yeah. but they're not drugs, masterminds, any of the people on these ships, usually a lot of the crew firstly don't know what's on board, right? It's hidden. Some of the crew will have to know because they either have to meet up or make sure that the ship meets the smaller trawlers and and follows its course. 
Um, but a lot of them tend to have sort of been found out in those Caribbean islands and in yeah. those in that kind of lifestyle, that marine lifestyle, maybe you'd call it. They're running private charter yachts. They maybe have some skills at sea. They may be, some of them, um, and it was only that I was researching for the book yeah. that I came up with some of these stories. Some of them like had maybe owned private charter boats themselves and there might have been a storm or a hurricane. Yeah. They had no insurance and their boat was gone. So they're, you know, they had this kind of hard luck story. Yeah. And then their approach, because the players from both Europe and the the, the cartels in, in the US are circulating in these areas and yeah. they're finding these people and they're people living slightly alternative lifestyles. They're offering them sometimes half a million yeah. to transport the cocaine across um, the Atlantic uh, with clear indications of where they're to stop and very clear yeah. uh, instructions of, of who they're to give the stuff to. And obviously, they make the trip, it's successful, and they get 500,000 in their pocket yeah. and that gets them out of trouble. Yeah. Maybe gets them into even more trouble because yeah, it's very tempting to go again. But they're all these sort of collection of people. Um, I mean, there's one story and I won't spend too long. I'll just tell you a little bit about it. But you're back in 1996 and a ship called the Sea Mist is, gets into trouble actually in, in weather yeah. because of weather off the coast of Ireland. Um, and it has to come in and... Uh, ship in, it has to kind of come in looking for safety in Kinsale Harbour. But it was actually guided in by fishermen. They were saving these people. They hadn't got the right flag raised on the boat. The two guys, the two crewmen were behaving so suspiciously that the fishermen who brought them in sort of said to the guards, these guys are a bit odd, I don't know what's on the boat. They went onto the boat and all of a sudden they find cocaine that they initially conservatively estimated was worth 40 million. Yeah. It went up and down actually in value yeah. until eventually it was they settled on about 100 million. At one point actually one of the tabloid papers had a headline saying it was a 500 million haul. Yeah. Pound that back yeah. was back yeah. then. Yeah. I mean huge. Nonetheless it was a huge amount of um, cocaine. But the guy behind it all because this is a story that has kind of really, you know, come to its end. It's, it, it, it's, it, it's unraveled. It did unravel before the courts with a very interesting tale of all the people who were on the boat and where it was due to go. But the guy behind it was a fellow called Brian Wright. And he was known as the milkman because he always delivered. He was actually born in Cork, family of 12. They moved to the UK and he was reared in Kilburn in grinding poverty. A flash kind of a guy he was always on the race courses. Um, earned a bit of money through gambling yeah. and always saw opportunities. And of course, cocaine was the big opportunity for him. But he, unknown to himself, his son had actually been collated out on a Caribbean island about a month before um, the weather off Ireland's southeast coast kind of served him badly. But that guy basically was shipping that kind of amount of uh, Coke into the UK at that stage every couple of months. Yeah. I mean, he was worth the fortune. His organisation was targeted and taken down. He initially escaped, went to live in northern Cyprus yeah. out of reach from the law and eventually came back and served time in prison and has only recently been released from jail um, claiming poverty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. I know. They're, they're, I mean, they're it's gone full circle. Yeah, they are great stories, and um, you can see in the the uh, the MS Guyan, you see uh, a collection of kind of logistical specialists, really. Uh, yeah. Most of them from 
Eastern Europe who, who specialized in, in, in the movement of cocaine, not in the production of it and not in the ultimate uh, selling of it when it landed, but just in the logistical moving of it across across the ocean. And um, obviously you say it's unsatisfying for us because we'd like to say, yeah, Daniel made a call and, yeah. you know, that type of story. Well, you'd, you'd also kind of like the idea that it was all his. Yes. You, yes and all of a sudden yes. he was destroyed and, and that was the end of it and the Kinnahans were yeah. gone broke. Uh, yeah. But it's not that type of story no, really. It doesn't work like that. Because but who's going to take the hit on the money? Well, you see... It'll be the buyers, I imagine, because like sometimes you see situations where the Colombians or the Venezuelans will guarantee delivery through yeah. a port, but usually if they have their own people, and that has usually happened and has been seen happening through EncroChat in Rotterdam and Antwerp, but where they have their own operation. Now, it costs a lot of money yeah. to get that guarantee through the port yeah. all the way. But if there's a kind of a loss at sea or on the yeah. way into Europe, it'll hit the other side. Whereas most of the deal's done. Yeah. The deal is done and you get paid up yeah. out in South America and or Central America. It you collect it and if you lose it, it's yeah. on you. But you pay a lot less at source. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. they do. So, they do. So, I mean, how do they mitigate the risk then really, isn't it? Like, and I mean, that's what the part, partly drove the alliance that, that led, that caused the super cartel because you're getting the, instead of, uh, you know, one of those gangs paying 20, 30 million for this shipment, what you get is a collection of them all pay 2 million. If it gets caught, if something goes wrong, they're definitely out of pocket, but they're not utterly destroyed exactly. by a single a single seizure. And so look, all of the indications are that's what the Guardi believed was the case here, that you will have multiple gangs from across Europe possibly even multiple gangs within Ireland who will all maybe pay up in advance and be get a cut of it. And, you know, that that therefore it won't destroy one of them in particular if it goes down, though it's obviously going to be, people are going to be losing a huge amount of money. And certainly what, what we've seen with some of these other shipments and the Kinnans is the belief is that they... Uh, it's them that have established those relationships with the South American cartels, isn't it, in Colombia? Well, I mean, they'll hold that power with that. Now, yeah. I suppose as well, it's interesting you talk about mitigating the risk and all the rest of it. The likes of the Kinnahans, we know, are a murderous cartel. Yeah. And, you know, we have sensed some of what they're capable of here in this country. But, I mean, a lot of stuff has gone on throughout Europe. Um, if the collection of cartels behind this shipment are who the Gardaí and, and officers of Europol believe they are, each are a very dangerous mob which rule with fear and with threats. And you can be guaranteed that in, in, in cases like this, the, the pressure of the, the shipment coming lays on those people who take that money in the first place to, to, to transport it. Yeah. So all that pressure comes down. They're being warned that if they don't land this stuff, they're going to be killed. They're going to be held in the debt for it. So that's the way they operate. Yeah. But you've other people in, especially cocaine, seems to draw this cross-section of society it always has in its use, plus in the kind of the, the business behind it. I mean, we had, of course, Philip Barron, yeah. The Baron of Straffen, as he yeah. was known. And he was an interesting character um, not all that long ago. He's been released from prison in the UK. And he was part of a kind of a gentleman grouping of yeah. cocaine dealers who were big, big cocaine dealers. 
And what they did was they approached it like any other business. If you owned a supermarket, you're going to have losses through theft, yeah. breakages, etc. They had profit and loss sheet, sheets basically on their on their business. And they accepted that if they lost a shipment, they accepted it as a loss yeah. because the profits were always greater. Yeah. So they took a very business approach to it. And they literally, so the likes of if they lost that uh, consignment that, you know, whoever was behind this week, they would just dust themselves out, down and get on with the next one, knowing that you can afford to lose one. Yeah. Your problem comes when you're hit again and again and again. And when you, as a kind of a businessman, you know, in that secret underworld, become the target of a multi-pronged approach to take you down. And then, of course, you see it's the paranoia sets in, doesn't it? Because, like, like the, as I said, like the stuff went wrong in Wexford, but that's not, you know, the guards seem to have known this was coming anyway. Um, so how do they know? I mean, we don't know, but like, there's only a couple of ways. There's either a human source or 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 a technological source. Mm. So what happens is then if there's multiple seizures in various places, it nearly always ends up in 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 murder because people become paranoid, mm. believe there's informers, all of that pressure comes on. And we've seen that again and again with the with the, the Kinnahan cartel. During the times in which there have been major seizures, there's been this uh, you know, this paranoia, this putting pressure on people, and ultimately it's ended up in a load of of shootings of various types, mm. including, of course, the shooting at Gary Hutch, which was which was driven by that same that same process, this uh, of of looking for an informer in their ranks and mm-hmm. blame being spread around. And you know, funny enough, the courts often deal quite humanely, certainly in this country, I've mm. seen it, and in the, sometimes in the UK, can deal quite humanely by these people who are part of the, the just, mm. they're, they're just the worker bees, aren't yeah. they? The guys who are, they are on the, the ships. And, and often have, they do have stories that are quite, yeah, like sometimes, certainly in the case of the MSC Guyane, which we can talk about, yeah. there was a lot of people recruited in the Balkans to yeah. go and, you know, work on the crew of yeah. that ship. And they really were not powerful no, you see, because bosses, you know what I mean. No, they were impoverished kind of chancers who saw that they do this job yeah. and maybe it would change their lives. Yeah, and because of course they are like they have to in order. It's still complicated to 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 pilot a ship across the Atlantic. Yeah, land things, meet trawlers, you know, register ships. All of that sort of stuff takes a certain skill. And so the the drugs cartels, they need professional people Mm -hmm. to do it, you know. Mm -hmm. And who are they going to get except for people that are really hard up on their luck or or people. Or greedy because plenty of others that have have really shown up in that whole mix that shouldn't be there. Yeah. People sometimes, professionals. I mean, living on the edge, though, a bit, you know, for one reason or another. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, this is this is it. They can't just rely on their. You know, you can't get a, a few guys out of the north inner city to go and pilot a ship across the Atlantic, you no. know, whether they're willing to or not. And in fact, a lot of it, uh, a lot of these, the discovery of these seizures has come really from not having people just being professional enough. But you know what I'd say as well, like, you know, while some of them, I mean, obviously the skippers that's in these boats mm. have to know and they have to have licenses and stuff. But a lot of people chance their arm in very dangerous waters. I yeah. mean, it does appear to be uh, extremely 
dangerous what they're being asked to do. And that's because of the transfer of these bales, mm. these very heavy bales from these big motherships onto the smaller mm. fishing vessels. They're in the dark usually because they don't want to be doing this in daylight for obvious reasons. Yeah. But they're expected to pilot a ship out into those very dark, treacherous waters to yeah. meet another ship yeah. and then physically transfer a load on board. I mean, you recall the the famous case down in uh, Cork yeah. when the bales and the men floated in yeah. after they put the wrong, they put the diesel in the petrol engines or vice versa, whichever it was. And they all ended up like in the sea, in yeah. the drink. Yeah. Um, along with the bales of cocaine. I mean, there's been so many incredible stories and so many people that have kind of been part of all this yeah. that have been really lucky to have survived. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're out in the high seas yeah. clinging to a bale of cocaine. Yeah. yeah. They must wrap them really well. They do. They vacuum pack them, I think, or whatever it is, because actually it was in one of the papers, I can't remember which one, describing how how they basically made them waterproof. Uh, yeah. You know, and obviously so if they do float into the beaches. Well, they float into the beaches and they're usable. They're usable. Yeah. So what? Like. Well, <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, like the Donegal. Like, remember, it's only a few months ago. Big loads of cocaine floated into a beach in Donegal. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. And they really. never found that mothership. They never, they never found that mothership, or or, or, the, or the, traced the, traced yeah, anything, traced. any anybody on any level to do with that. Exactly. So. And then all of that cocaine, which I thought was interesting as well, all, I mean, it's gone up, you know, half a billion now or whatever, whatever figure, all of that had to be transported then from the coast of Cork all the way up to Dublin. Do you know that somebody drove up all of that cocaine up? What do you mean when they... No, like it's been brought to, it was brought to Dublin this week. Yeah. I think it was displayed, wasn't it? And why is that fascinating? Well, if somebody is driving, you know, some guard in the back has half... <laughs> I presume it's a bit more complicated than that. You take a few of them bales to, up, you know. The <laughs> Get your man on the on the guard a bike, he can bring up one. I was actually doing uh, an interview And then what did he do? Wednesday. They, they, they burn it, do they? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm about yeah, to say yeah. to you. So there we were in the Sugar yeah. Club yeah. getting ready for our show yeah. on Wednesday evening. Yeah. And everybody's doing sound checks and RTE decide they're going to do an yeah. inter- an interview. I had to, I said to him, I don't know what the place will be like, but I will talk yeah. to you. Now, I mean, uh, anyway, did the interview with them. But one of the questions that somebody sent in was, uh, can this cocaine be used for anything in the pharmaceutical industry? <laughs> and of course, I think I was muted because somebody was doing a bloody sound check for the oh, show yeah. at the time. But all I could think of was, is that not part of this story. Yeah. And it's it's part of what lies at the heart of this story. No, it can't because it has no other use other no. than to be a recreational drug yeah. that you take when you're out enjoying yourself. Yeah. And that's, the, it has to be destroyed. It has yeah. to be yeah. burnt. Um, like for, you know, can you imagine that bonfire? I remember. I presume now it's not just in the back of uh, no, no. The, the Phoenix Park. No, no. It has to be. Spraying a bit I of barbecue. Mean, I don't know where, to be honest with you, it's, I, it was a good question in one way because, you know, where do they go and incinerate well, it safely? Well, I'm I, sure there's a place somewhere. Well, I Probably actually, send it back to China. I actually asked once yeah. the press office could we come along and watch an incineration, but I, did, I can't remember what happened, but they didn't say yes. You should have asked, could you come along and watch the cocaine be driven? Want, yeah. could, you, yeah. could you strap yourself in beside <laughs> it in the back of the car? I can't believe that you, that was your thought process. Well, I just thought, like, how did they get it up? Did it, yeah. I presume they put <laughs> 
Super, super funny. <laughs> you know, actually, I'll tell you this story super. now. And you, this is what you missed. Because you know the way I slag you about your numbers all the time? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we had the initial stories where, you know, the, the figures in most of the papers are it's uh, over 100 million pounds worth of yeah. cocaine. And, um, you know, I wrote up a story the morning saying yeah. and, you know, giving a more exact figure. And delighted with myself up before any others. 156 right. million pounds worth of okay. cocaine is the final figure. And then the guards did a press, a press conference. Yeah. Um, and what did they say? 157. You really screwed up. Just one. You one screwed. million. <laughs> I know, one million out for yeah. God's sake. And um, I had to be, yeah. That's like, you know, if you were on a game show and they asked you to guess that, you would have been like, everybody would have been impressed by that. Well, it, it's still one million yes, out. One you, million what's out. what's one million, yeah, what's, one million what's pounds, one million? Yeah, pounds worth of cocaine? Um, but uh, look, cocaine is a fascinating topic. It remains that way, how it's transported, how it's used. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, it's the scale of money involved, and you can see that. Um, the scale of the money involved transporting this product across the world, the amount of money involved in the policing of that yeah. transporting of the product around yeah. the world, the amount of people that will be, you know, having sleepless nights because of this seizure. And it won't be the guys with the money, the guys on the top. Now, what I was saying to you earlier there about, and we were having a discussion about this during the week, is that sort of relentless targeting is yeah. the problem. So if Kinnan's put up some money on this one and they lost, you know, two million or whatever it was mm. in this 10 million, let's say is probably more reasonable. Mm. Uh, that would mean nothing to them. They could do a Philip Barron on it yeah. and they could just put it on their losses sheet yeah. and get on with it and know that it'll be profit, 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 profit for the next eight months. But their problem ultimately is that there has been this sustained focus on them. Mm. And they have lost hundreds of millions rather than tens yeah. in various places. They are so sort of leaky as an organization now that so much information is coming out from there and from their every move yeah. that they are they're also toxic for other people to yes, work become, with. And you know, actually what somebody did say to me, uh, a retired guard, he said to me, the reason that they became so successful was because they were dealing with these South Americans and their, their, the Kinahan's word was rock solid. Yeah. They always paid up. Um, they didn't have those leaks and they were so willing to deal with them because they were totally trustworthy. Now, if you have all of these seizures going on and they're in the papers and the DEA are sanctioning them, eventually they do become toxic and people wonder, is that how? Like, how mm -hmm. was that? How on was an international that? level, on an perhaps international they were level. trustworthy. I don't think they have that reputation, even within their own ranks, on no, a personal but, level. No, I think but the, what, what he was saying to me was they paid those South Americans. Yeah. They didn't mess them around. They yeah, made sure yeah. whatever they did with their own people, they paid, they, they were kept totally solid with them. Mm -hmm. They were happy to deal with them. But I don't think that's the case now. Do you know who one of the first cocaine cowboys before the courts in this country convicted because of uh, attempts to traffic cocaine was? Well, I always remember Eamon Kelly. Yeah. What, is that? Yeah. Eamon Kelly. Eamon Kelly. So Eamon Kelly, uh, who was murdered in 2012 yeah. outside his own home. A man on the bus pass, at least by then. He was well in his late 50s, yeah. maybe. Was he early no, 60s? No, he was early 60s yeah. at least. Yeah. So he was, you know, had a 
sort of paramilitary background. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I've done a, a podcast actually um, with, with Brian oh, Handy, right. for, who's a professor at Trinity, and he's spoken about Eamon Kelly. What does he say and, about him? Well, he he says that he Eamon Kelly was one of the guys that were kind of mentored by by IRA figures mm-hmm. in Dublin when they wanted to have a bit of separation uh, from from bank robbing, basically. And he was part of a group of people who were mentored into that business by the by the official IRA. Um, they kind of uh, would give him information, give him weapons, and yeah, he stayed. That was in the in the late sixties. Um, yeah, and obviously was you know stayed in criminality the whole way through. And when the drug strike came, he 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 got into it, you know. And he, of course, ended up mentoring people himself. But he's just an interesting little tale, I suppose, about he and perhaps to raise funds for himself. Or uh, you know, I mean, the IRA wouldn't have liked to have been seen anyway connected no, with the drug no, trade all I the don't way think back. Was in. at that stage. Uh, um, but he basically, in the early 90s, saw an opportunity for himself. And that was, there was an Irish man based out in Miami um, who had a history actually of working in the weapons trade in Israel. Uh, An interesting character, but he was somebody who was based in Miami. Unknown to Eamon Kelly, he appears to have, through his um, connections to the weapons trade, known US authorities and was suspected of kind of working as a little bit of an agent for the DEA because they were trying to delve into Escobar's network and Miami was the centre of everything then. But um, our boy Kelly goes out and he does a deal and he decides that they're going to bring some cocaine in on a human mule. Right. Right. Who was a a woman. A lot of uh, immigrants were living in the Miami area and were willing, you know, had dreams of maybe setting up a yeah. business for themselves or something, but had no way of getting that small sort of a nest egg to to start themselves off with. So Kelly went out and met this sort of larger than life Irish guy in Miami and he had connections and weapons. And it was suspected that this guy had actually been working with the DEA as a kind of a, you know, double agent. A, a double agent, a mole. Yeah. They were looking to get into the Escobar network. They were concerned about the amount of cocaine flooding into the US mm. and they had many people working kind of half, you know, gangster types working and, and working for them. But anyway, Kelly did his deal. And in the September of 1992, this Irishman and a a um, a woman flew into Dublin. Kelly met them at the airport and they drove out to Jury's Hotel where she booked into a hotel room. Um, now, at that time, Martin Callanan was, who would later become the commissioner of Angarda Siakona. He was in charge of this drug team who had focused on Kelly. They really wanted Kelly because he was a paramilitary more yeah. than anything. Um, and obviously they had been working on intelligence. Presumably we can say from the US yeah. that he had done this deal and this cocaine was coming in. So they pounced basically and they discovered that this woman had brought it in. She was kind of a large lady and she had she had put the cocaine into the folds of the skin on her belly. Right, okay. Yeah, so yeah. that is quite useful. Like, yeah, you know yeah, yeah, I mean? yeah, in those circumstances. <laughs> particularly yeah. wants yeah. it. So anyway, Kelly and um, the, the, his friend were picked up along with her and actually the Irish guy ended up leaving the country and not coming back for many years and Kelly faced uh, the courts on his own. Now, he was convicted and sentenced to 14 years, which yeah. was an incredible time. Yeah. But he was sort of 
you know, an example really back then as somebody who was entrepreneurial enough mm. um, for somebody from that paramilitary background, like they were very intelligent, very well-educated guys. They were. They were a little bit like the criminals that Eamon talks about now who don't see borders, who don't no. see the world as being a frightening place, who are willing to go wherever they need to. And of course, um, if you look back on then at that, that time, the 90s, like cocaine was more expensive in Ireland than it is now. So I think cocaine was selling for something like 80 pounds a gram yeah. at that stage. And it's now... is it's, And its purity might have been 20%. Well, it might, but if it's one of the few things, like if you look back on how much a, a pint cost or something back then, mm-hmm. it's escalated and escalated. But cocaine is coming down. Cocaine is cheaper now than it was back then. And uh, it, it just shows you that how, how the... The drugs trade is just so different yeah. than everything else, you Absolutely, know? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and that's because it's operating in, I suppose, a lawless society where yeah. people are setting the price, they're fixing yeah. the price. I mean, they say now that the Albanians are fixing the price. Yeah. They're coming in with it cheaper and they're really moving in on the sort of, I mean, I think we've seen evidence that there's, you know, an Albanian presence here. Yeah. Certainly down in the Costa del Sol, they have really moved yeah. in and others are... I don't know. They seem to be more afraid of them than they are. Yeah, they seem other to be Europeans. more afraid of them, and they seem to be again very adept at the logistical part of the operation. So mm. that that's become a big thing for 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 those uh, groups that they can they have the people and the expertise to move the drugs around the place. Um, you know that they're not limited by operating in a single country. Um, so there will be planes, trains, and automobiles, eh? Yeah, I mean, planes, there was, trains, there was planes and recently as well coming in with with smaller amounts and dropping there was, loads. There was and, and look, and we can talk about the, the dismantlement of the Kinnan cartel. There's no doubt something else is coming, and there's different ways, and you know things things change, and certain routes get shut down, or certain. But it's the level of inventiveness is just going to keep going. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, we'll leave it at that for this week and um, we'll be back. We have to put up our... So we did record the show, the birthday party show we did. I'm not sure how crimey it is, is it? Well, it is a bit, I suppose. I suppose so. Yeah. You committed a few crimes in it. Yeah, well, there's... there's (laughs) I mean, I think visually, you know, you always say that I'm, I'm, I'm... very aware of our YouTube followers. Yeah. But I do think anybody who will listen to the forthcoming Sunday World 50th birthday celebration podcast has to go visual on this. You have to go on YouTube because we're we're running the photographs, yeah? I suppose we are, are we? Yeah. Do you want to tell... I'm really... Do you want to tell anybody what it... No, no, I'm not going to tell, but I'll just... There is a picture of me pointing at a glory hole. We'll just leave it at that, will we? Leave it at that. Thanks very much, Nicola. Bye for this week. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Clodamini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on.
Do not consume the Sunday world if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume the Sunday world responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.